Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hey, ladies, how are you today? Hello. Hi, good to be here. Yay. So we are really excited today, you guys, to have Veronica Valley. Um, she has been alcohol free for over 23 years. She got sober at 27, you guys, which I'm like, I want to talk about that. <laughs> She's also been a psychotherapist for over 18 years, and she is the author of Soberful Uncover a Sustainable, Fulfilling Life Free of Alcohol. Um, she also has her podcast, Soberful. And she's a sober coach helping men and women all over the world. She lives in Lake Tahoe with her husband and two sons. But you'll probably recognize a British accent because she grew up here in the UK where I now am. So that's super fun, too. Um, Yeah. So thank you, Veronica. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. Yeah. It's great. It's great to be here. Um, When I go home, everyone thinks I have an American accent. So. Yeah, my my girl, my friends. When I go home, they're always like, "Why do you sound so British?" I'm like, "I literally could not be more American." I don't. Yeah, you sound really American. Um, well, I'm really excited to have you on today because we seem to keep kind of like bumping into each other, Mm. slash being tagged in the same posts on Instagram about this whole idea of like clean wine, this marketing Mm. marketing ploy that's trying to like drag alcohol into the wellness industry and make it seem like there's a better version of it, right? Which is bananas. Yeah. Um, so just a couple ones that I've seen recently, like, and you're, I know you're familiar, but like there's Cameron Diaz's new one called Aveline. Mm. It advertises mm-hmm. itself as organic grapes and little else. No unwanted, no unwanted additives, no added sugar, transparently produced vegan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, this is my personal favorite, which I get really riled up about is mom water, which actually isn't oh wine. My. It's yeah. it's vodka. It's sparkling water vodka. And their ad little tag situation is um fruit infused vodka water, zero carbonation, zero sugar, zero carbs, all natural, gluten free. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I make a business of, of going out after like calling it out because it's, you know, I would have fallen for that. Like, w- you know, the women market, right? We there always tilts towards health and weight loss and blah, 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 blah. and all of that. It's like it, it, it just is saying this is pretty much a health product. Yeah. And it's like, bingo, I can drink and I won't put on weight and I probably won't get as hungover. It's just I actually, so I've submitted that one. So in England, there is an advertising standards agency that you can submit. I know it's a, it's a much smaller country. It's much more complicated in America. But I did submit that to, and I can't remember who it is now because somebody forwarded it to me. I'll have to, but, but there's a, a voluntary body that kind of um, raises standards in advertising. And I submitted that that it's being positioned as a health, yeah. health and wellness product and vodka is, you know, a, a level one carcinogen. It's the worst thing you can put in your body. It, it, it just, I, I'm the same. I'm so, I, again, again, it's like, I don't have like fine, sell your vodka water, whatever with <laughs> fruit, 
you know, find camera and sell your, your organic wine. I don't have a problem with that. that that's yeah. your thing. It's the absolutely very misleading and dishonest advertising. That is the it's the lie. It's always been the lie that bothers me. It's not the drinking. It's the lies that we tell about it. 100%. Mead, I feel like you're like trying to swallow your tongue. You're like ready to... <laughs> Ready to like jump in here. Well, you you're know, fired, is, you're fired up. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can read it on my face, right? Um, yeah, it's I mean, I fell I fell for it. And and yeah. that's where I mean it's like on one end, it's exactly what you say, Veronica. It's it's the deceptive marketing practice that they're using to dress up this thing and call it this wellness thing, directly playing into what we are as women, moms who like concerned about, I mean, the fact that I pay attention to the, the sunscreens that I use and the chemicals that are in them and, and the food that we, I mean, yes. And, and then I felt, I felt for that hook, line and sinker back with this whole, uh, clean wine business, no hangover thing. And, um, I mean, I was a rep for a company that sells the clean wine and I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And we can get into like the, you know, kind of the story side of the rationalization that we do and how that fits into it. Since, I mean, that's what we talk a lot about, like the stories that we tell ourselves, right. Mm. That keep us stuck. But, um, but yeah, there, I love that Veronica, that you like, you know, take an action and saying like, this is, this is not, this is not right. Yeah. And I've been doing it for, for years. And I mean, before social media, there was like, you know, back when I was younger, there was, oh God, I wrote a blog about this and it, it was in England. And it was like this whole kind of, it was, it was this, uh, there was a lot of kind of targeted advertising against sort of in the, you know, 25 to 30 age group. So they had a bit of money, but they were more likely to drink a lot. And it was all about kind of, um, you know, having the best time and like really over drinking, like it was massively encouraged. But then they also had this stuff about drink safely and and I kind of wrote this whole thing saying that you don't want that. You make money from people drinking like to the point, you know, and again, it's the lie. It, it and, and but we are so susceptible to it. Like I, I wanted yeah. the lie too, right? We, yeah. I think when when you struggle with an alcohol problem, this is the thing. When you're a, a a mommy needs wine drinker, when you're you know all of that is you're trying to figure out how to manage it. Like that's the holy grail, right? I I the hangovers are real. The parenting small kids with a hangover is awful. You kind of know it's not great for you. You kind of know you're drinking too much. But if you can figure out like the magic formula, which has got to be out there, like if I can just figure it out, I yeah. can just <laughs> yeah. get that yeah. to add up so I can drink not have any of the consequences and it's not bad for me. That is mm. subconsciously, I think a lot of women are really driven by that. And I was, that I was just like, what is the magic formula? If I can just figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, right. And I, I, this is in your book and I've heard you speak about this on other podcasts as well, right? It's all about that amount of space in your head and mm. tell, tell your anecdote about sandwiches because <laughs> I love that one <laughs> <laughs> so you know there's lots of kind of tests you can take about do I have an alcohol problem and, or not and you know there's lots of quizzes and all that kind of stuff and and for me it's all about bandwidth you know um my, my husband has an occasional drink maybe two drinks a month 
and he never thinks about it. He just doesn't think about drinking. He doesn't think about not drinking. He might of occasion rarely have, you know, if we're out with someone, he might have a drink. It's all about the space it rents in your head. Mm-hmm. It's about the bandwidth it takes up, which is bandwidth is energy and space to think thoughts. So people who, um, who don't have a problem with alcohol, they think about alcohol in the same way that I think about sandwiches. So I might think I might get hungry about 12 and think, oh, I have a sandwich. I'll make myself a quick sandwich. That's nice. And then tomorrow I might have soup. And then at the weekend, I might be at a party and there might be like a little platter of sandwiches go by. And I think, oh, yeah, I have one of those. That's nice. And then it comes around again. I go, oh, I'm good. Thanks. That's literally how much I think about sandwiches. And and that is the big it, it's the the, the four mm. things. It's the thinking about drinking. It's the thinking about not drinking. It's drinking and it's recovering from drinking takes mm. up a much more bandwidth than we realize and that is the indication that your drinking is problematic when you do those things yeah yeah we have a tactic I'm sure you use it to me like that we you know kind of learned in that this naked mind training about like time spent drinking right where you literally like log the actual hours not only that you're thinking about it but that you spend recovering and mine like came back something crazy, right? Like 40% of my life was being controlled by alcohol. And when you think of it that way, it's just like, that's not even remotely a cool way to live, right? It's a it's a full-time job on top of a full-time job. That's what I had. Yeah. It, was a, it was a full-time yeah. job on top of a full-time job. It was about 40 hours a week. Yeah, yeah. And before I, because my drinking quantity doesn't look problematic because I didn't, fit the picture of what a traditional problem drinker looked mm-hmm. like because nobody from the outside, you know, looking in would, would have thought that I was questioning my drinking because of all of that. I, you know, I, I, I didn't even realize how much neural real estate was being occupied by the thinking and the planning and the prepping and the recovery and like all of the thinking time and and that's enough where I, you know, I coach people all the time. I'm like, that's enough to where, like, if that is what's taking up space, you know, kind of like the, uh, the open tabs on your phone, the open apps running in the background, that's draining yeah. your battery. That's yeah. taking away yes. from what you have, you know, what you could be using for other things. Like that's enough in it of itself. And when I figured that out, oh my gosh, it was like, it, it, that, it, yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. And, and and then the other perceptive is, is, you know, is the story we're telling ourselves. It's like, well, it's how, you know, how I have fun and relax and reward myself. But when you actually like quantify that time, yeah. it, it's just minutes, you know, and I actually think the best part of drinking when you're in that stage is the anticipation of drinking yeah, rather than so the true. actual drinking. The anticipation is the most enjoyable bit. And there's maybe an hour or whatever, but then there's hours and hours and hours of it not being great. And um, when you look at it from that perspective, yeah, the delusion, you know, I've been doing this work for over two decades. The delusion is never been not fascinating to me. Like how people are able to delude themselves and how I deluded us myself as well. And and it's because in our culture and, you know, British and American, South African, Australian, very similar cultures with drinking is... um, Alcohol is seen as a, you know, my belief system was everybody drinks. 
everybody yeah. drinks Same. and and adults drink and and alcohol is just an immovable object in our life and you just have to figure out the managing of it not drinking was a revolutionary concept to me and i i, I didn't it never crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind until I got sober that not drinking was an option. I mean, it just, that seemed like the word, I mean, what, what we think that is, is not drinking is I volunteer to never have fun again for the rest Mm -hmm. of my life. That's Mm -hmm. what we believe it is. Yeah. A hundred percent. I said to Mead recently that um, I had this big revelation that that fun was actually chaos like in the end you know it was like I was striving for this like let's be fun let's be fun let's be fun until I took a step back realized oh no that thing that I'm striving to do to be fun is actually totally completely chaotic and on the other side of that like striving to have fun is actual peace and it's one of those things right you can't know it until you try it sounds cheesy but it's true yeah, and it's manufactured fun, right? It's it's like the I mean, how boring are you that you have to take in a substance in order to have fun? Like I don't one thing that occurred to me after I got sober after a while is I don't I never thought about having fun. It just occurred. Like I mean, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. sure I would plan, you know, like I'd go to a concert because that's that's really fun. But it, it was much more like fun just occurred in lots of ways that I wasn't expecting things that I didn't realize were fun were fun like my idea of fun when drinking was extremely narrow Mm -hmm. and then when I got sober there's there's always a bit of a period of time where you know the first year is very odd and there is some periods of time where it does feel boring that will change the first year first year is a very unique time it's not how it is long term and but then after that I was like well, the big thing was I, I was, you know, I'd go to concerts. I was in my 20s, so I was going to concerts and still going to nightclubs and things like that with friends who drink. And I just had this massive realization that I was having more fun than they were. Mm. And that, that I realized then I'd been lied to. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, it's that. Um, I, I mean, it's all coming up in a new way for me right now. Like as we're talking, it's that fixation on fun because of what alcohol was actually doing to numb everything else out. And as we know how it works on, you know, our biochemically, how it works in us and changes, changes our, um, changes everything. Um, it's that fixation on, I need the fun when you're stuck in the drinking cycle because you're looking for relief from what alcohol is actually causing Mm -hmm. in anxiety and stress and all of the extra stuff. That's huge. So, so all sobriety is, is a shift in perception. That's mm-hmm. all it is. It's yep. a shift. We just perceive everything differently. And that that is everything. When we, you know, the same, I was 27 and I didn't want to stop drinking. I realized I had to because I, I did see the impact on my mental health. My mental health was so bad. I had no choice. But I was absolutely a hundred percent certain that I was never going to have fun again and I was never going to go dancing again and I was just going to be sort of a bit boring and gray and just plod through life and I kind of accepted that because um I had such bad anxiety and panic attacks I was that was preferable to how I was living and I I just and that you know and then the first year of of sobriety is up and down and it's good and it's bad and it's all the things in between and then 
my life began to expand in the second year and third year. And, and it's like the perception shift, it, it all the thing, you know, and the, it's the same thing. It's like, God, drunk people are boring. Like, <laughs> you know, I had pe- people don't say to this to me anymore, but when I was younger, it's like, you know, don't you feel like you're missing out? And I'd kind of look at them and be like, I feel sorry that you feel that you need to do this and spend all this <laughs> money and feel this crappy and you're telling yeah. yourself a good time. Like, and you have, you're pitying me. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> So it's the perception shift that is, is, and and we, what we have to do is we have to invest and work on that perception shift that, that, that is how sobriety becomes sustainable because if without it, if you still believe that uh, you're missing out, you won't stay sober. Yeah. 100%. We talked about that a little bit in our, um, we did an episode of um, like can 40th birthdays be fun without alcohol because we both are in 40 and like, you know, the last couple of years. And, and we just both said that, like, we thought we had to do this massive, big, do it for the gram situation, when in reality, that pressure was off, because we have fun and joy in the everyday, which is not something that I had when I was drinking, right? You had to, like, chase that crazy artificial chaos. So I just turned 50, and I went to Vegas. Amazing. <laughs> I went to Vegas with my family. And we stayed in a lovely hotel and we had a blast. We went to see Katy Perry. My kids were there. We were dancing our asses off. We ate great food. We loved, we did top golf. We laughed. It was the best weekend. It was so much fun. That's amazing. Like, why would I ruin that by being hungover? And like, I, 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 like, there's, that's the perception shift right is we it, when we drink it's like there's an event doesn't matter what event it is could be your 40th birthday could just be friday night whatever we believe that if we add alcohol to that event it will be better mm-hmm. and that is the lie and that is the perception shift and, and i want to tell you sometimes adding alcohol to that event it did make it better sometimes but there was always a cost to that there was always a big cost to that Mostly it didn't. There, my perception has shifted that like, there is nothing like, why would I add alcohol to this? Like, it, it, like that would just make it smaller and not as good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so funny though, how, like when you just said that, I thought of a client recently who said to me, well, I made the conscious choice to go out and have dinner and I had one glass of wine and it was fine. It was really, it was good. I actually liked it. And, you know, without wanting to like be like emergency, like red lights, you know, flashing, you know, there is that perception that there's that whole fading effect bias thing that happens. Right. And then there's the whole thing of like, we forget. It's another reason that like one of those things, just like clean wine, where we've been duped to believe that like it's we can moderate. And and when you have that one good experience that that is something that can continue. And we, we quickly, I think, forget, right. Of all, all of that past cost benefit analysis <laughs> that we've done in the past. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I have, I've had clients who do that and, and uh, generally what happens is then they have another glass of wine and it's fine. And another glass or two of wine and it's okay. And then at some point they end up back where they were. Yeah. Yeah. Because no, nobody shows up in front of us by accident. Like mm-hmm. again, the only reason people show up and, and seek out a sobriety coach or help is because uh, the, the 
majority of their drinking is not fun and not enjoyable but it's it's not that we're stupid it's that we forget really really quickly yeah yeah. When I think, I think it's, you know, one of those, and we talk a lot about this too, where it goes back to the underlying, like the perceived benefits that, you know, that we're getting from the alcohol that go back to the underlying needs and desires that we have, like for the belonging and the connection. And so, I mean, you know, fun to have fun and, mm-hmm, and experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say, like, I gave alcohol this tiny opening in my life as, you know, in high school at parties, like as this social thing. And it, you know, eventually it got to the point where uh, over 25 years, it, you know, was taking up way too much space in my life, too much time, too much space. And, and largely with that internal noise that was that, but because of the perceptions that I had about what it looked like to not, you know, to have a life of sobriety, which I don't, I talk about, you know, being free from alcohol. I don't even really talk about sobriety. Because that word to me meant like, okay, you could continue doing what you're doing miserably, or the alternative is be miserable every single day for the rest of your life, not drinking. And when, when we, you know, when we take that first, like courageous step to actually think, okay, like what is, how is alcohol serving me? And how is it not? Like, what is that cost benefit analysis? Um, I mean, that's a huge, huge step that can lead to so so much information and that kind of wake up that's needed to to then realize like, Oh, all of these stories I've told myself that this is the way to this, this, and this. Oh, okay. Like, Oh yeah, I'm, you know, I value clean living. So I'll buy the wine that doesn't have the sulfites and doesn't cause the hangover. So I can stay in this place where I'm, you know, um, trying to get other things met. Like the loop and the loop is just, uh, it's so, so fascinating. And it keeps it, it keeps us, it keeps us stuck doing the thing that we don't want to be doing. But, um, and when, when you look at the bigger p- mm-hmm. picture as well, this is one thing I do with my clients is, um, cause we get so sucked into this, like, this is not the main event, like the yeah. amount of time yeah. and energy you're spending arguing with yourself about yeah. whether to drink wine or what wine to drink or, or this one has, doesn't have pesticides in like t- step back and take a picture. Is this what you want your life to be about? When you're 85, do you want to look back and think like, bloody hell, in my 30s and 40s, I spent, I wasted a lot of time arguing with myself about yeah. whether I was going to drink or not. Like that, that's not the main event. The, the, the main event is, is your fully realized life and your purpose. And, and alcohol becomes the main event. And mm-hmm. um, what I have seen in my work is when people get sober and they stop drinking, um, they get the access to that bandwidth that they didn't have, which can be considerable, yes. 20, 30, 40%. That's where your extraordinariness is. Yeah. That's, that's where so your extraordinariness is waiting to be realized into the world. And yeah. um, that I, I work mostly with women and I passionately believe the world needs that and needs women with the full access to their extraordinariness and what they can bring to the world. And that um, like diet culture, um, this mommy need, needs wine culture is a way that keeps uh, women small. I heard this years ago, someone said, well, the reason that women can't rule the world is because they're starving. Mm. You can't get to positions of leadership when you, you're, you've missed lunch five days a week. And I just thought that's so true. Yeah, and and now we're sort of just we're sort of still starving and uh, hungover as well. 
Yeah. Um, following on from that, um, how do you think, I mean, I know we, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I think part of the reason that bringing wine into the wellness conversation and this whole clean wine con thing is frustrating is because of the, of the fact that like wine and alcohol does affect our, our bodies as women so much differently than men. And Mm -hmm. so can you speak, I've heard you speak on other things about that. Will you speak a little bit to that too? Yeah. I mean, so I, um, I'm a bit older than you. I, um, came of age in the nineties and, and that's when feminism, uh, very specifically in England, to be sure, um, the whole messaging was we can just be just be just like the boys and we can drink like the boys and we can party like the boys. And there was this whole culture in the 90s in England called Ladette culture. You're probably aware of like Zoe Ball and mm-hmm. Sarah Cox, their DJs, and, and, and they were very much part of that. Like, right, they were these young women on TV and radio and they were drinking like with like how the, the, the boys were drinking. And I really bought into that. Um, there's all, there was also um, Sex and the City was the other one, I feel mm. like was a real lots of messaging. And that in my head, I was having very sophisticated cocktails in the bar in my gorgeous outfit, like Sarah Jessica Parker, Sarah mm-hmm. Jessica Parker and that was not the reality. And um, so, <laughs> so, too, that, that, <laughs> so that that messaging was really strong and that that was a feminist message and I was a feminist and I really ate that up that equality meant I could party like the boys could and we just can't women just can't our bodies just cannot metabolize alcohol like men um and and that's why um you know you're I I feel that it gets us younger The, the other thing is I think you know drug use has become more widespread and I think that kind of has um lowered the age of people getting uh sober as well but yeah I think that there was there was that feminist message I think there was that kind of Ladek culture there was kind of the sex in the city and then around 15 years ago the mommy needs wine it's like all these different cultural changes to keep women drinking and you know and then there's the whole thing about gosh you know being a drunk mom and being a drunk dad being a drunk mom of color you know it's like oh there was a thing I went after it was quite a while ago it was a Canadian group and it was called Mums 2 and they did day drinking play dates and it was all white middle class mothers meeting up having a couple of glasses of wine while they're told you know happy mummy happy baby we need it we need so the mess again the messaging yet yeah, mums need connection and support 100% really hard these were millennial mothers I think who'd been told the lie that you can have everything and then they'd got their careers going and then they got pregnant and they've gone oh it's really hard you can't have everything it's really hard to have a really high flying career and raise a child and all of that kind of stuff so it was really sold as this uh, you know and I, I did another blog piece about that saying you know this all falls down if this was all women of color if this was all women of color drinking around their infants people were called social services but because you're white middle-class women in nice outfits, everyone's like, oh, that's nice. That's lovely. You know, having a little get together with no problem, you know, glass wine, that's lovely. You know, it's just these whole lie after lie after lie that that is told to women in all these different ways that just keep us stuck in this belief system about alcohol. Well, and who benefits from that? I mean, like that's, that's where I, 
I mean, I think about the story of the marketing exec who then became, you know, free from alcohol. And she was telling the story about how she back in the nineties was sitting around a boardroom, a bunch of guys working for an alcohol company, uh, you know, marketing for them and trying to come up with the way to like, who's the next segment that we're going to sell to where we can, you know, increase our profits. And that's when they invented wine coolers. Well, we're going to target teenagers. And if they're going to drink it, then it's going to, it's going to have to taste good. So that led to the invention of, of wine coolers. And so just, just like the mommy wine culture and the, you know, the, it's like, who's benefiting from the selling of all of that. We're, we're certainly not, you know, but somebody is in into the tune of, trillions of dollars, right. With big alcohol. And, and that's where, you know, I, part of my finding freedom from alcohol is that like, no, like I refuse to be duped by these lies and at somebody else's, you know, profit. Um, and, and so I just, yeah, it's the, the whole conversation about how it's sold and marketed and the stories that we pick up that then keep us in those ways, thinking that this is what we need, but really missing the point of like, we want to connect with other moms. And so alcohol is not the way to do that. Like it's not, it's not going to lead to what you actually really want. Oh, I mean, it's, it's the worst, most betrayal of women and mothers, isn't it? That, you know, both in England and America, there's just not enough support for mothers and it's really hard and lonely and isolating and exhausting and, and being, like give a you know sold this like like that's why we need wine and mummy vodka or whatever it is it, it's just such an absolute betrayal of women I think it's it's really really makes me angry that um yes and it's for-profit alcohol companies interestingly interestingly their fastest growing market is the non-alcoholic brands and and that's interesting although they are trying to meddle with the guidance that says what's non-alcoholic and non-alcoholic is 0.0. And they're trying to raise that to like 1% is non-alcoholic. So um, they're sneaky, but it's interesting that that's their fastest growing market, but yeah, it's um, you know, for all of their messaging about drink sensibly, they don't mean it's a lie. They, they make yeah. more money the more you drink. So that's what they want you to do. Yeah. It- and I think about how you said like the immovable objects, like that just everybody growing up, like everybody drank. And I think about how, you know, putting alcohol in the glass and sitting around and it, the luxury of it and things to sex in the city and the things that sold it as this kind of like glamorous thing. And, and how, you know, that like, if you had, you know, handed me a glass of paint thinner um, and put it in, like I if even if it was in a pretty glass, I wouldn't have, I mean, I'm not going to drink paint thinner, Yeah. but what's, you know, what's the difference really? Like, I mean, different types of alcohol, yeah. but still. Yeah. And, and so it, it's, it's the, I guess where I love this movement and I love hearing that the non-alcoholic is where we're headed. Like that's the fastest growing. I, we see that we see the movement is happening here. And, um, but you know, just kind of that, like waking up for women to see that as long as we're like participating in all of that, we're actually, I mean, we're not winning and yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a, a client who's worked for big alcohol. Well, she, she did work for big alcohol for a while. And, um, she was just telling me about all the things that she had to do right during October breast cancer awareness month on pink washing these bottles and literally like strategies saying to her, go after the moms in the minivans and 
you know, at certain bars, if you um, came and showed that you had had a mammogram, you could get free cocktails and and all this stuff. And it's just like you're, this this messaging is going out to you know women. And I think I don't remember the, know the latest stat, but I know that it's the majority of American women, and I'm sure here in the UK too that don't know right that that your risk for breast cancer goes up when you drink alcohol. But here, have a free pink cocktail because you had a mammogram. I mean, talk about like the deception and the duping and who benefits and I get really riled up about that one. <laughs> yeah, that that's a big one. I mean, uh, I, I, I've seen, um, there's lots of c- celebrities who'll do stuff around breast cancer, but it's all ab- about fundraising during that month, but it's all about wine is involved. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that is such a huge thing. And I don't think, to see, this is what, it's all about perception again. I think in the public's mind, I think there's a vague idea that there's a link between alcohol and cancer, vague idea, but that's the people who are drinking sort of vodka for breakfast. That mm-hmm. like, that's like the, they, it's the perception is like, those, those are the people who are like drinking around the clock. It's not the people who are having, you know, two, glass, two or three glasses of wine five nights a week. That's, that's perfectly acceptable and normal whereas uh, have you heard dr huberman's uh podcast yeah that i point everyone to that he blows that up that even a couple of glasses wine a week he link he really goes into how that impacts your body and there's another book and i can't remember it off the top of my head but um it's uh she described it as a neurological sledgehammer mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. again it's that deliberate that that perception has been massaged that it's it's the, you know, because all my all my clients have only ever looked like you. Like, that's how my client group has always looked like. You know, I've worked in rehabs and stuff, and I've worked with people who are very, you know, in, in very, very bad ways. But mostly my clients on the outside, nobody would think you have an alcohol problem. And mm-hmm. here's the thing about an alcohol problem. An alcohol problem shows up internally years, mm-hmm. if not decades, before it shows up externally. Now, mm-hmm. it, you know, I've certainly had people in their 20s who just alcohol you know they're getting DUIs and all that kind of stuff so we think we think it's the external we think DUIs falling over getting fired you know all of that is like that's an alcohol problem what we don't realize that in it, it the internal manifestation what nobody can see and that's the shame the self-loathing the constant arguing with yourself about whether you're going to drink or not it's the um in, it's emotional unmanageability that's mm-hmm. what it is it's that we have we we cannot manage our internal emotional lives so we outsource that to alcohol so that's why i talk a lot about emotional sobriety that it's really 10% not drinking 90% emotional sobriety and that is learning how to manage your internal emotional life without needing to outsource it to a substance um, yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, totally. 100%. And and, and that's, that's why it doesn't take and that way. It, that's why it takes work and it takes a little bit of time. And that's also why it's it's very difficult, I think. And because I've had so many people come to me and be like, OK, how long does this take? I'm like, it, we cannot compare timelines here because you're dealing with a whole different like set of emotional rules and beliefs about alcohol and about yourself that we have to go through. Right. And so it takes time. Yeah. So there's two kinds of people in this world. Um, Everybody has stuff, right? Everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone has some stuff they've gone through. And 
some people are working on it and some people are not and you mm-hmm. can see the difference yeah, and, and that's that's all it is it's not that all what I do is I teach it's really personal development when you when you have an abusive relationship with alcohol I for me as a teenager I had I had no idea how to manage my emotional life I didn't mm-hmm. like how I fit, felt and I didn't like who I was and alcohol fixed that so that worked and then as I matured I missed lots of opportunities to develop really important emotional skills to navigate my life because I just outsourced it to alcohol. So when you stop drinking, you're an emotional teenager because you haven't developed really important skills that you need to get through life. Now, everybody on the planet has to learn this stuff Mm -hmm. and lots of people don't. And you can Mm -hmm. see, you can see people who are not managing their stuff. So I tell people, everyone has to do this work. You're the fortunate one that you've been pushed into it. And I know it feels like the worst thing, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be the best gift you've ever had because because pain is the best motivator. The pain of not wanting to ever feel like that again motivated me to do work on my internal being that has been transformational for me. Yeah. So everybody it, has to do mm-hmm. this work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the condition of being human, right? I mean, and mm-hmm. nobody, nobody teaches us how, I mean, maybe even in the best of homes growing up, we get a little bit of help of learning how to emotionally regulate ourselves, but depending on the health of our parents and so on and so forth. But like most of us aren't given the tools for how to do that. So that's where alcohol makes that little tiny, you know, tiny opening entrance into our lives. And then so you know, I always, I always tell clients, it's not that living free from alcohol is hard. I don't like, it's not hard for me to not drink ever, but it's hard for me to learn how to be a human when I'm not used to navigating being a human, but oh my gosh, like it is so worth it because of the, to use your word, the bandwidth that comes back as a result, the extra extraordinary that comes as a, the energy, the, the youthfulness, the, I mean, all the things I'm smarter and more creative. I mean, all this, I'm mm. younger now than I was when I was in my twenties, when I was drinking, just, you know, regular, not as someone that looked like they had a huge problem, but, um, Mm. that's, that's where it's, uh, you know, the, uh, I, yeah, I'm such a, I'm such a fan of, of what you're saying exactly there. It's 90% emotional work and doing that, like that translates to everything else in your life, everything else. It helps everything. Mm-hmm. How how we feel is everything. Yeah, it's everything, and it's one of the. I think one of the most important skills that we can learn is emotional regulation and emotional management. It's one of the things I'm trying to teach and, and role model to my sons. Mm-hmm. And next to that is um, being able to deal with other people, being mm-hmm. able to deal yeah. with all the personalities that we come across. It, it's a really important life skill. So when I got sober. I remember I can I can see still picture it in my head. I, I, the most difficult relationship in my life was with my mum, and uh, it was Chip, my podcast co-host, said this to me. He said, "You know, you can have boundaries with parents, right?" And I went, "No, <laughs> like <laughs> where, when was I meant to be told that?" Oh, no. And then then oh, I no. was like, "Well, what what's a boundary, and how do I have a boundary?" Well, learning that skill changed my life. Mm-hmm. It, it, it brought me so much more peace and my life became less chaotic. Uh, it was less stressful. 
just learning that life skill and that's a dealing with other people life skill it cha- that's the emotional spider bit so I, I that's what i find with pretty much universally everyone i work for we are lacking in the really core life skills that we need to manage and navigate this life successfully and um that's what i'm passionate about teaching that yeah totally reminds me of where my uh, my girlfriend when i was and i wasn't even looking at alcohol yet as being a contributing factor to why i just like i you know all the things where i was feeling so stuck and she was like well what what do you need and two i mean two questions what do you need and what do you want and i could not for the life of me answer either of those questions i it wasn't something i was used to asking myself it's not something i was used to other people asking me and the fact that I, and it's so, I remember where I was, where I was sitting, what I was wearing when she asked, because it was such a huge moment for me that I couldn't answer that. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's similarly where you learn things like boundaries and how that changes things. If I could answer the question, what do I want and what do I need, you know, way back in high school, well, I wanted to belong and connect and alcohol looked like the thing that was creating that, but without naming that, without being able to say, what do I need? What do I want? How can I have that need met? How can I actually, you know, and and similarly for the boundaries work. And so, yeah, I'm such a fan of, of working on, and I think that's where people get, they, they come to us because they're like, okay, alcohol is the problem. I'm focused on alcohol and let's change the behavior and let's do, you know, and, and it's like, whoa, 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 let's back up, let's zoom out and look at all of the, the foundational things that are actually, you know, going to support removing this. And sometimes that just comes as a, as a, you know, like as a, uh, an accidental kind of symptom of getting that emotional wellness, um, and, and life, life skill development. So, uh, yeah, alcohol is a new symptom. It's a symptom of the problem, which is why the, you know, most people discover along the way that just stopping drinking is not enough. Yeah. 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 So true. Well, Veronica, we, We like to end um, all of our episodes um, with like a suggestion of just a tiny new action that our listeners can take, um, whether that be about like recognizing the clean wine, clean wine live, the clean wine con or anything kind of related to sobriety or anything that you've that you're really into or want to pass along. Um, What would be your tiny new action for our listeners? Oh, I don't don't know if this is. Tiny, it's okay. But... It's never really tiny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's kind of ask your question. So the, the question that people ask themselves, which is always the wrong question is, is my drinking bad enough? And it's very easy to look around and go, Oh God, it's not that bad. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a part of the delusion. We ask that question so we can easily spot five people who clearly have an alcohol problem and we don't do those things. So we're fine. So yep. that's the wrong question. The question is, is this good enough for me? Mm-hmm. Is this, is this life, is this how I'm living? Is this good enough for me? Do I want to settle for this? And then if you're a parent, would I want my kids to drink this way? Is yeah. this how I would want my kids to drink? And that mm-hmm. is a, it, that, that will be an eye opening question. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is an action after that. And, and what I always like to leave people with is the great big sober secret is the, the, the belief that, um, you know, alcohol is the best vehicle to get to the land of fun, excitement, belonging, connection, relaxing and rewarding yourself. And if I don't have it, I won't be able to get to that place. None of that is true. You can get to the land of fun, excitement, belonging, connection, all of those things 
uh, sober and it's better. And mm. I've been sober in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and I'm now in my 50s. I've done everything sober, everything. I've been on holiday. I've been to concerts. I've got married. I've been to weddings. I've traveled. I've done it. I've done everything sober. And it's all better. Um, and that's what I want people to know is that start the journey and I promise you'll get there. And when you get there, you won't want to leave. I love that. Tell everybody, tell everybody where they can find you and we will link the book and your website and everything in the show notes. But any any directions of where people can sure. spot you? Yeah. Yeah. So my book Soberful is on Amazon and all other retailers and um, my website soberful.com and I'm on Instagram as Veronica J Valley and the podcast is called the Soberful Podcast and it's just my name Veronica Valley and Soberful. <laughs> if you Google that lots of things will come up. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at love life sober with Christy and mead at I'm not sober, I'm free, underscore. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.